Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. Hello, Susan here, Inside Yorkshire. Now today I'm talking to Janet Phillips in The Threshing Barn in Reith and we're going to actually talk to Janet about her international businesses, where she started off and what actually brought her to move to Reith. Good morning, Janet. Hello. <laughs> so where did you actually, where were you born? Where, where were you brought up? I was born in Derbyshire mm. and we had a, a sort of a... a a house with a very large garden so I just had a fantastic childhood roaming the fields behind and sheds full of pets and animals and my own garden and my family were farming so grandma farmed and two uncles farmed down in Warwickshire Um, and so every holiday was spent outdoors with animals um and I was a very creative person, so I was always making making things. Um, so that was, yeah, from Derbyshire, and then it's been a, an exciting journey. It has. You've been all over the place, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> um, so I... I was a twin, and unfortunately, um, I failed my 11 plus and my sister passed. So they decided not to split us up and sent us both to a grammar school. Um, and I really struggled at a grammar school, and I think I perhaps deserved the award at speech day for the person with the most perseverance because I wanted to go to art college and I needed five O levels, two A levels. And for somebody, I just struggled. And, you know, I failed. I got my English on the fifth go. I failed French three times. I got maths on the third go. Art, no problem. I got my art. I did pottery. I did geography because I love drawing all the maps. And um, so it was a struggle. So eventually I got five O-levels and I needed two A-levels. So I did uh, ceramics and um art and craft art um and I, th- I have to really thank my art teacher who was such an inspiration um so then I went to art college at Derby and did a foundation degree um and at, at this point you know I am I am the wild child with the purple backcombed hair and the <laughs> purple boots and the you know it was just I was just in my element at art college it was fantastic and I always remember my father was saying oh well you can have a leather coat if you get five O levels so my sister got hers straight away and it took me two years to get my leather coat (laughs) (laughs) um so from there I then uh went I did a um a foundation degree and then I went to Leicester College of Art um and did a degree in fine art sculpture which was predominantly uh, ceramics, glass blowing, um, a lot of plaster work, bronze casting. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. But you know, what job are you going to get besides setting yourself up as a sculptor? So I thought, well, I will um, go and do a teaching degree. So I did a teaching degree. Um, and my first teaching job was down in Sirencester, um at a comprehensive school. Um, 
I did that. I taught there for about three and a half, I think about three years, perhaps just over three years. And then slightly decided again, this was rather dull where you're working to pay for a mortgage and pay to, I'd got a little six-year-old mini and paying to run my car. And at this point I'd got married to um, my boyfriend from school and we decided we would sort of have a couple of years gap year and um and at the time this is you know 40 years ago was not really heard of and we saw some adverts in the um it was in the daily telegraph wanted <coughs> engineers to work in the power company over in hong kong for china light and power and then i found an advert uh, wanted an art and craft teacher to cover somebody for maternity leave um so we both applied and we both got the jobs and out we went so I'd gone to teach art and craft which wasn't a problem but I was teaching it in French and I'd <laughs> failed my O-level three times so it was um challenging to pop, not to find a point but it was it was good so I did that and then I had only been there about three weeks when my husband got posted back to UK for two months they were building a new coal-fired power station in Hong Kong and he had been sent back to negotiate contracts so there I am I'm in Hong Kong on my own in in a block of flats out in the new territories so and I had actually decided if I was going I was going to take my beloved mini with me so I had shipped my yellow mini out to Hong Kong with its sticker up the rams on the back. And um, I would have this little car and I would toodle all over Hong Kong. And sometimes it felt like as if you were in a biscuit box. It was so hot and everybody's driving around in big flash cars with air conditioning. And I'm in my little mini. It was hilarious, really. And I took myself, I had no fear because I was so new to the air. I went everywhere. I went out into the New Territories and I photographed and I drew and it was just so exciting. So I would be teaching during the day and then often in the evenings or weekends would go out. And really, I didn't realise at the time, but I was documenting social history. Hong Kong was changing so rapidly. You had the squatter huts and up behind them, 30, 40 story blocks of flats being built and it was the old and the new and they they really are not sentimental about their buildings they there's this beautiful old colonial building with balconies knock it down we can build 50 story block of oh, flats no. or whatever on so you were actually recording a lot of these old buildings and then I thought I've got to do something with these drawings and the there was a hotel, Hong Kong Hotel, used to have a big gallery. And I decided I would approach them and said, could I put my drawings in? And they said, yes, they were fantastic. So I mounted this exhibition, put them all in. And the next day, they all got bought by an anonymous buyer. And I wasn't allowed to know who bought them. And it was just like, whoa, this is so exciting. <laughs> so then a couple of months later, I am back in UK on holiday. 
And there's a programme about the government, how government works in Hong Kong. And um, it was a board meeting and they interviewed all these different board members and how democracy works in Hong Kong. And they panned around the main government board room and there were all my drawings and they were bought by the Hong Kong government how fantastic yeah and then uh I got back and then a a few weeks like a couple of months later I think it was they contacted me and said could we have your permission as obviously the copyright belongs to you to use these cards for the Hong Kong government Christmas cards and I went oh yes yes but could I have a hundred blank myself so they sure enough they printed and they went out and I got a hundred blank and I sent them to everybody. And people said, wow, you should be doing this. So I thought, that's it. I am going to have these printed myself, my drawings, and approach the stationery shop. So off I went. And, yep, it was... And it got to... There was one Christmas where we packed 12,000 Christmas cards. Good grief. I had grandma <laughs> and granddad and my kids and whatever. And it was... Just, that was the opportunity that I needed to get into sort of enterprise. And I think my, my, I'd been brought up, my dad ran his own business and I'd been brought up with the belief that you'll never get the same satisfaction working for somebody else as you do for yourself. And my dad had been in uh, haulage and run his own business. And I just think it suited my personality to work for myself because I could ricochet off and do this and then I could do that so the cards oh just snowballed and there was um I would be do commissions for people who worked in a block of flats in central could you do a drawing of our building and it it got almost too much because Mm. it was drawing buildings is really difficult because you've got to count 30 floors down and 20 windows along and and it was just trying to get that detail but I thought well if I can sell greeting cards calendars notelets postcards what else can I sell so I thought I were I I had always been I'd always loved flowers and gardens so I used to press flowers and make potpourri as a little girl on granny's mm. farm you know you you goes back And I thought, I'm going to do potpourri. So I used to buy a couple of kilos of potpourri and bring it back in my suitcase, a couple of kilos of Norfolk lavender and bring it back. And I started making potpourri sachets. This is in my spare room at home. Where were you then? This was in Hong Kong. Still in Hong Kong, Kong. um, but um, in a rented house. Mm. And by this time I've had three children. So I'm, I'm doing my drawing and doing part-time teaching around the children. So I went from the French International School. I taught at the Hong Kong University for a while. Then I went and did all the adult education for the YMCA, YWCA in creative textiles. Um, And then I'm also making things. So I'm making potpourri sachets. So a friend had a gift shop and she said, can you supply me? And I did. And somebody else said, can you supply me? And it, just snowballed so then it was a, I got to the point of either you move out and your sodding flowers do 
<laughs> or you you just get away, get somewhere. So I went and got a small warehouse, and I employed my first um, Chinese girl to come and work for me. She was the cashier on the cash tills at the local supermarket, and so she came to work for me. And in seven years, I sort of just expanded it and expanded it. And I woke up after seven years and thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've created this kind of monster in a way. It was still creative. I could go and do shop displays and design products. But you've now got two warehouses. You've got a factory in China that are manufacturing for you. You've got 10 staff in Hong Kong and there's two dozen girls up in China. And you're making a dozen sachets has now become quarter of a million for Gulf Air, 100,000 British Airways. There was one company who made T-shirts said, well, can we have 60,000? But we need them in two weeks. We're going to do a promotion, buy two T-shirts with flowers on. And mm. then you've got a potpourri sachet. And it just went. And then the shops wanted more and more. So we're now got 200 retail outlets. We've got department stores. We've got stands of our products in Mannings, which is a bit like the boots of Hong Kong. And and I guess why it was successful is that you were this mad English woman selling a very English product. And the Chinese were, at this point now, rejecting their own arts and crafts. They wanted to have European things and they wanted to have it was the start, really, I suppose, of the designer. They wanted British labels and British mm. products. So there was this mad English woman who was floating around in all these Laura Ashley floaty, flowery <laughs> clothes. And in Hong Kong, you've got shop or department store. There is no warehousing because warehousing costs money. So every inch of a department store has to earn money. So I could go in. And you offered them a service, mm. which is what I think a lot of businesses forget, is that you're not only just selling a product, it's the service and the support. To it. So what were you doing? Yes, you were selling them potpourri sachets, but you were going in and you were doing the, the display. Mm. You change the store display. You do seasonal mm. Valentine's Day, Chinese New Year, Easter displays. You could take product back and repackage it and take it back. Some entrepreneur who's bought a container full and got a warehouse full of potpourri can't do the displays, doesn't have the facilities to change, do seasonal, put promotions on. He just wants to sell them a product. You offered, you were selling them a service as well, and it just snowballed. It just I, took off. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I decided the year before the handover to to sell um because i was getting an age where i wanted to come back to uk parents were getting elderly children i didn't want my children growing up as teenagers in hong kong i wanted them to come back to uk and, and unfortunately at this point my marriage broke down my husband um had a chinese lady Okay. I, in the side, in the sideline, and so I unfortunately I came back with three children, um, and sold the business. At I that sold point. the business. I advertised in the South China Morning Post. Found a buyer very quickly, and brought her back 
trained her up in what she needed to do and promised I wouldn't... Well, I signed to say I wouldn't set up in business in Not competition in to Kong. her. Mm. Um, and and then I came back um, to UK. Right. So did you come back then to the Derby area? Uh, yes, I came back. Um, I, I came back literally with a suitcase. And after two years, I had a few boxes of personal possessions returned. But that was it. I just came back and I'd always had... Um, a cottage in uh, Belper in Derbyshire so I came back um, to live there and it was you know I'm not pretending it was you know it was hard and I I went back to try and teach and I'm doing two and a half days a week at art under an art college I'm doing four evenings a week evening class um, and I'm trying to do that around making my own work running the kids around and I think there was one I had gone to Harrogate the flower show and I got a phone call on the the second day to say can you come Chris had broken his collarbone playing rugby um and I just I came back and I just thought I, it's really difficult what I need to do is for me to stay put and make people come to me and I can do that then around my children and the premises that I'd got wasn't suitable. So I need to find somewhere that had enough space, potential to, to develop a craft centre in. But I'd also decided I wanted to come back and go back to some form of farming that would be environmentally friendly, would be sustainable, that I could use my own, produce my own products. Um, so... I bought, I sold my house and I bought a derelict 500-year-old grade two listed farmhouse and outbuildings in Staffordshire Moorlands in the bottom of the Peak District. And it came with six acres and it was half a mile down a track. And I mean, it was, I walked in, saw it, and I bought it the next day, and I didn't need to have a, a surveyor around to tell me that it didn't have a roof or there was a tree growing through the kitchen window. And it was I, it was six months before I could actually physically move in. Um, and bit by bit did it up and converted the outbuildings mm. into the threshing barn. And it that's, was the, that's the name, where the name it has was, come from the last really threshing barn intact in Staffordshire and it was the most beautiful building. It's originally been thatched, but it's got Staffordshire blue tiles on. It had to have 400 pound a piece beams across it to keep the roof stable. Um, it was absolutely beautiful. It had an earth floor, stone flags, went up in tiers. Doors were opposite each other so the wind whistled through and it had air vents down the side and I thought oh the potential that that's got and then I went in one evening and down the barn flew a barn owl and it was one of the most magical experiences that I've had and so I realized they were nesting in the barn so I wasn't going. I just decided I wasn't going to develop the threshing barn. It would have sheep in, and it had pigs in, and 
hay or straw, but I wasn't going to develop it. So we moved, the, we put a barn owl box up and they went into that. We then moved the barn owl box down the barn and put CCTV cameras on. And I had swallows and bats and barn owls. Magical, <laughs> absolutely magical. Fabulous. Yeah, and we'd have the cameras in the threshing barn and people used to come in and sit and have a coffee and buy the crafts and have a look round, but sit there and watch the baby mm. barn owls. Yeah. Fantastic. So I was there for uh, 20 years. Right. And I had Texel sheep and Suffolk's, which were the commercial sheep, and we sold all our own meat. Very little went to market. We sold, had it all butchered. Um, and then I had Red Dexter cows. Not They're not too big. And then a whole range of, used to have all different uh, rare breed pigs. And then we'd do sausages and bacon that we'd have a butcher do for us um, and sold all of that. So it was a huge learning curve. A, to do up a, a listed building. You can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and also to learn about farming. You'd be sitting there with the book and thinking, oh, it's got these spots, oh, what could it be? Oh, it could be this and that. And um, and then to learn how to have the meat processed and package it and environmental health and trading standards. But I thrive on the challenge of that Yes. Of doing it. And it was very, oh, it was very, it was a lovely way of life. And we welcomed so many visitors to the farm. We had, um, we had Prince Charles. Okay. And I had worked for years as a mentor for Prince's Trust, uh, mentoring young people going into creative industries. And we, we had him come and he, we were going to do um, a meat project, which he, he said he would help us with, to help Petership farmers. And he gave us one of his paintings, which was our logo, and he came back and launched the project. So that was quite quite fun. And then the I'm quite an active member of Federation Small Businesses because if you're self-employed, who represents you? Hmm. You don't have a union. Um, when I was teaching National Farmers, uh, you know, National Teachers Union or whatever union you join, but as a self-employed, you don't. So Federation of Small Businesses are brilliant because they they campaign for us. And I now here, I'm part of what they call their big voice. So I, I do their online questionnaires as to business confidence what would you need what help what do you think of brexit <laughs> and <laughs> so i federation small businesses would bring different visitors to mm. show a farm diversification and we had at the time i got quite a lot of funding which was leader funding and through the what we call the single regeneration budget. So a lot of this funding has now gone, but it was funding was there, particularly for rural businesses to help um, set up businesses. And so I always remember we had a chap from Business Link first came to see me when I had only hadn't been at the farm that long, and he came in and whether he'd ever run his own business, I don't know, but he came in and he condescendingly said. So, my dear, my dear, 
tell me, do you realise what skills you're going to need to run this business? <laughs> and as your farmer's wife, do you realise what skills you're going to need? Tell me, have you ever run a business before? <laughs> and he went out of my kitchen, literally backwards on his knees, and he said, you taught me the biggest lesson that we all presume. Oh, look, she's a country bumpkin and she wants to diversify. And so he became a really fantastic friend and he would be doing a talk to 100 farmers and he'd say, come and talk about marketing, come and talk about promotion, come and talk about... And I would go into talks <laughs> for him. So it was exciting, all the different people that we mm. had. Again, we had another exciting visitor, which was um, you have a gentleman called the Rural Advocate, and he is answerable to the um, Prime Minister of the day on rural issues. Um, and we had a visit from him, and he came, and we talked out. And a lot of these problems still exist, you know, Today, and I particularly think of Swaledale as well, where there are huge rural issues of affordable housing and employment opportunities and young people moving out. Um, and it was really good for him to come and talk to him. And you, in a way, you felt you could influence mm. the powers that be. And then he invited me to the House of Commons to come and talk to... Um, some subgroups on rural issues and crime in rural uh, areas. So oh, it was all exciting. And at this point, I've remarried and um, my children have grown up and are all really amazingly creative because they've been brought up to be anything but just don't be normal. Mm. The world, you've you've had an opportunity. The world is your oyster. Just Go, go, <laughs> and and enjoy the world. Um, and I've I've written down a few sort of mantras, but I'll read them later that I kind of live by. But um, so my unfortunately my second marriage collapsed again, and so my husband went off again with his new lady friend. And um, what was I going to do? I decided I couldn't stay on the farm. I'd been there for twenty years. My children don't want a farm. Um, and decided I need another challenge. Where was I going to go? And I sold the farm. I thought, oh, it'll take ages to sell the farm. And it was a lovely little farm. And it had, I had at one point put it into organic conversion to the Soil Association. But it was so expensive for a small farm, I came out. And... But I wanted to find somebody that wanted to run the farm on the same ethos that I mm. had done. And I found the first chap that walked in bought it. But the panic was he had to move quickly because he, he would, he got to TB test in so many you know months. And if he got a reactor, he wouldn't be able to move. He was so many weeks off lambing and whatever. So you've never seen a sale of a farm go through so quickly. So I had to move quickly. Where was I going to go? And I had always would come up to Yorkshire Dales. And I had a friend who lived in Kirby Stevens. And I used to come. And then for two years running, I had always come up for the Swaledale Festival. And I came on the walks and the concerts. And I thought, this place is so cultured. There is so much happening. 
It is stunning scenery in a protected environment. If you've lived on a farm, I could not now go back into suburbia. And I thought, I'm going to come up to Yorkshire Dale. So I bought a unit at, next to Farfield Mill. It was a, There were big live-work units. Um, and I lived there for three years. Uh, but it turned out not to be quite what I thought. The, the Yorkshire Dales put these 106 on that people have got to run businesses from there and they can live there. And they just get abused, you know. And I found I was living there next to two second homes and next door was an Airbnb. And it took two years for me to finally get a response from Yorkshire Dales um, that they had been in and investigated and had told them, you know, you can't run an Airbnb and you've got to, you know. Mm. But at that point, I decided I'm moving. Mm. There was a lot of Mm. politics at the mill. And it was was a good stepping ground because I could move, I could live there and my business, but it wasn't right for me. So I then came out looking down further down the Dales and it was, yeah, my swelled up and my daughter had come and we were staying in the Burgoyne Hotel for a treat for a couple of days. Walked round here, saw these, that's it. And so I rented it and I wanted to live in Reith, but I couldn't find what I wanted or I would go down the Dales and I'd think, well, I'm I'm 67 I don't want to live on my own, stuck up on a hillside. I do want to have a few neighbours around for companionship. Um, But I'd find lovely places, but they were surrounded by holiday homes or second homes. And I thought, there's no community. I want Mm -hmm. to live in a community. And I couldn't find what I wanted because obviously Reith is often small cottages with no garden or no parking or... Anyway, I live in Carperby in Wensleydale. Okay. Um, My commute to work is breathtaking. I drive that single track road from Redmire up and over the top. And even in horizontal rain, there's a beauty. The clouds, the rainbows, the circling birds, the it's the colour of the heather. It just feeds my soul every morning. And coming. every day it's different. It, it is beautiful. Mm. And I think... I've, I've written down, I said to you, a couple okay. of things that I want to read. Sure. It's the choices you make that construct your future. You can choose to become a victim or you can choose to make decisions that empower you. I've had enough disasters and shit in my life and having to sell, you know, mm. move from my beautiful home, lose my husband. I've had, and I've done it twice. But you make that decision. Am I going to be a victim or am I going to empower myself and move on? And it's part of life's experiences. We look and we think, oh, they're happy ever after. We never know what mm. people have gone through. Um, and the other thing I think, do what you love to do. I say coming to work, but it's not work. It doesn't this, feel like work. No. If you love doing something, there is no feeling of working. Um, all you need is a fit body a positive mental attitude to live every moment of it fully. Live in the present. Forget the past and the future. Yes, fabulous. Um, And the other thing, which I think is quite... It shocked me with... In Hong Kong, there is no benefit system or social services. Um, Everybody works. Grandma has a fantastic... Grandma, granddad have fantastic roles to play. They look after children, they do the shopping, they might do the cooking. 
parents work. There is no safety net underneath. Mm. And I come back to UK and people said to me, oh, sign on. I'm never going to. No, I'm not going to live on benefits. I could, oh, well, my husband's, you know, and I've had to come back and I've got to start again. No, life does not owe you a living. You owe it to yourself to earn a living. Definitely. And yes, mm. the the system is there that if people are ill or they've unemployed, lost their job, whatever, it's there as a safety net, which is brilliant. But it's now almost to some people a lifestyle choice. Mm. And actually, I believe everybody can work. I have worked, as I said, I've I've worked when I came back. I've done two and a half days a week at art college, four evenings a week. And I've worked in the pub, you know, to earn enough yes. to provide a home for my kids. And so, yes, I work hard, but I also play hard. And I've got three children. The oldest one, severely dyslexic as I am. And he's an architect, amazing architect. He's designed sports halls, stadiums, big, huge, big university buildings. Um, he decided to, went travelling to Australia and decided to go and live there, got married to an English girl, went out and lived and got his citizenship, was there for seven years. So I got to go to Australia, which was fantastic. They miss family and have now come back, which is lovely. So they live in Canterbury. My other son so caring and tender and just a lovely lovely human being is a photographer and he worked for 13 years a big gallery in london representing all these top international photographers he traveled all over the world doing print shows photography shows and he's got a new girlfriend who is south african and he's just literally left his job gone out to south africa He's going to go and do a photography project of his own work for a couple of months. He's then got an internship up in Kenya for uh, a couple of months. And then he's going to see what he's going to do after that. Mm. Um, And he's been offered, if he can put photography shows on for some of these top international artists over in South Africa. Um, So he's looking at opportunities there. My daughter is a structural engineer and also architect. And so she worked in London. She's actually gone back to live in Hong Kong. So I get a chance to go back to Hong Kong. And I've just met her uh, last month in Sri Lanka for a holiday. So she flew from Hong Kong with her husband and my little grandson. And I flew out and we had two weeks in Sri Lanka, which was beautiful. So... My kids have got the same kind of ethos ethos, that I have. Definitely. Yeah. So I sit here today and I look out the window and I just think I am blessed. We haven't mentioned actually what it is you're doing here. No. And I I always teach. Mm -hmm. And to run a successful business would be difficult if I was just teaching my skills so I have people come here and do craft workshops but where I earn my living is from the all the supplies so people will come and buy spinning wheels they'll buy looms so the lady that's just popped in now is coming to look at looms um I've got a lady coming in tomorrow who's for a spinning workshop but she wants to buy a spinning wheel so I 
it's an all-in package. Mm. I don't just sell. There's people who sell a loom on eBay. Yes. But they have no. They get no service. They get no advice. People can come to me and they get everything. So they get the teaching, the advice, they get the products. Yeah. And having been in arts and crafts for over 40-something years, you come with a huge knowledge. So for me, I can be located here in this stunning, beautiful, remote place, but it's a small world because there's my website. And my my I spoke last night to my chap who does my website and he's just doing some remodeling on it. And I get customers from all over UK and mm. I ship into, obviously, Europe as well. So I'm constantly changing because, for me, I'm a bit of a butterfly. I love my spinning. I um, I love my batik. Uh, I love my drawing. I love my modelling. I'm doing printing at the moment. So it's just, just love it. <laughs> I live and breathe it every day and all day. Yeah. Yes. Yes, a phenomenal, really, background altogether, and you've reinvented yourself several times, haven't yes, you? Yes, yeah, and I think it's you pick the yes, you pick the pieces up and you start again. But if you have, as I have, such a fantastic loyal customer base, mm. they will follow you. Doesn't matter everywhere. where you're living, mm. and so it goes back to again to me the most important thing of a business is the service. Mm. Right from when I was in Hong Kong, it's the service that you give. Then at the farm, and then people come here, and it's it's the service, the experience. People come, and they will drive a hundred miles to come and look mm. at products. They will go into wreath, and they'll go in the cafes. They'll go for lunch. They'll come and stay for a couple of nights and come and do workshops. So, my business kind of benefits everybody else. And mm. we were saying that we have the new Dale's Two Dale's Bakery. Mm. For me, that's fantastic because I can send. My customers, when they come on a workshop, we can go there for lunch. It's yes, benefiting it other businesses. Everyone, certainly. Yes. So, as well as the workshops here, you were actually mentioning that you um, go out on the road too. I love going out. We normally start in about April and we run through till about October. And we take the threshing barn out as a roadshow and we go to all the big wool and textile events. So we go to Woolfest over in Cockermouth, Wonderwool in Wales, uh, Yarndale. These are big wool events, wool and sheep events, normally at agricultural markets. Um, and a lot of them were started, again, after foot and mouth with leader funding to regenerate the rural economy. We also go to oh, maybe about 15 events a year total. So I go to guilds of weaver spinners and dyers or embroidery guilds and do workshops for them so that then puts puts a face to my customers mm. it puts a face to me and people know you're a real person in a real business and a lot of people don't want yes it's easy to go and buy something on the internet but people need advice mm. and I always remember the chap from Business Link saying to me oh well you should you should be doing this and you should be... And I said, wait and let the phone ring. And somebody phoned up and wanted some red dye. Well, do you want it with an undertone of yellow or would you like it bluey red? Do you want it more of a maroony red with a little bit of blue in? Oh, oh, well, I think I want it this one. So I said, fine, 
That's why if somebody has phoned me, they could have gone online and ordered a red and it was the wrong one. Mm. But they phoned and they asked. So to go out, people meet you. And I'm lucky I've got a um, friend, Sarah, who comes with me. And she is so bubbly and mm. such a fun person. And we have just a ball going out all over UK. So that that is the going out and meeting the customers. It's yes. a lovely event. And as they always say, people buy from people, don't yes. they? Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> so a, a life well, well, well lived, and, and still living. <laughs> and I, I remember my 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 twin, mm. you know, and we're very opposite, and we, I don't see her very often. Um, but she said to me, "Oh, she said you failed," and I said, "No, I haven't. I have lived. I have." A reasonable relationship with both my ex-husband. I have three fantastic children. I have travelled the world. I have empowered so many other, particularly women, to do their own thing, to do their own crafts. Um, I'm free. I can be up on the fells, wind in my hair, the sun on my face, and think, yes, this is living, and mm-hmm. and and then come back here and just enjoy all the customers I meet. What a fantastic life. I mean, what a fantastic thing to be doing. Um, and I believe in working with other people. So we've obviously got the fleece shop and there's mm-hmm. five of us run that and we have all local artists come and join that. Um, and it's trying to to widen. We have a, a spinning and weaving group that meet here once a month on a Tuesday evening. And we're just trans- not charging people, but just we're just transferring mm. skills and trying to keep the woolen industry alive in Swaledale. Yes. No, and this is just, I mean, you walk in here straight away and it blows your mind, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so if anyone then wants to, um, I need to just, could we put out the name of your website? Yes. yes. And how people would contact you, phone details, yes. email, whatever you're happy to yes. share. So the website, perhaps don't go on today. <laughs> well, th- this program this, will go this out is later. Not, this is going on um, next but week. But it's yes, it's threshingbarn dot com. Okay, and the phone number is o one seven four eight 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 four zero two five, and you can also email me if you want to have any inquiries. It's threshingbarn twenty four at btinternet dot com, and right. it's. 24 because my brain works 24 hours a day <laughs> and I'm I'm a bit I think I've always been a bit of a Maggie Thatcher in that I go to bed at two in the morning and I leap out of bed at six and I just need about four hours sleep right because I, I'm just lying there and I'm thinking today what have I got to do today what mm. and and no and <laughs> I don't want every day to end and every day I feel I've got to be creative mm. And it might be just doing a bit of printing. It might be just doing some knitting. But I have to be creative. I have to make something every day. Inspirational, Janet. Thank you so much. Pleasure. (laughs) So this is Susan signing out from Inside Yorkshire. 